Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Genesis chapter 50 and reading for our text just part of verse 20. In verse 20, but God meant it unto good. The whole verse reads, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Genesis 50 and verse 20. Joseph's brothers were very fearful when Jacob passed away. Remember, this is some 17 years after Joseph had spoken to them. We read of that in chapter 45, where Joseph assures them there that he meant them no evil at all and where he said to them there that uh, there was the Lord that had brought them, God in verse 5, God did send me before you to preserve life and he said to them, be not grieved nor angry with Yourselves that he sold me hither. He gave every every indication of his love, his kindness to them. And for those 17 years they lived in Goshen. But now it seemed that their fears were so heightened that part of why he'd been kind to them was for Jacob's sake. And now Jacob, their father, was dead. Joseph was going to change. But Joseph did not change. And what he saw in what God had done hadn't changed in all those years either. He still saw that it was God's hand. He still acknowledges that as they did too, that what they had done was an evil thing. In verse 15, we read, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us for us all the evil which we did unto him. They didn't hide what they had done. They were convinced of it. And they knew the justness of what Joseph could or would do to them and he was in a position to do it too. And Joseph says, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Now the reason that Joseph gives here is to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Going back to those seven years of famine, those years in which 
Jacob and Joseph's brothers were brought up from Canaan, saved alive, given food, given sustenance and placed in Goshen. That is the reason that is given here. And we should not pass over this first reason and the reason given in the inspired word of God. In the history of Israel, the famine had come. They don't come by chance. And God had ordered this as a way of saving all that family alive. But there is another reason as well, and that is because God had promised to Abraham that his seed should be a stranger in a strange land and that they should be afflicted for a hundred years and that he would in the fourth generation bring them up out again. And this, of course, is intimated by Joseph in verses 24 and 25. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And there he asked them to uh, take an oath that they would carry his bones up into Canaan when they did come out. And in a way it was a, a, a great blessing that it was so ordered that the very one that had been the means of bringing them into Egypt was the one that told them that they would come out and had his bones stay there as a constant reminder of what he said would happen. Some things that sadly happen and in families, in churches where a minister or perhaps a, an elder in a family will be an instigator of something and they are put it in process or they move to a certain place and then they pass away and then the generation following will actually put what that person did as set in stone, it can never ever be changed because they did it, because they said that, then nothing, nothing would change it. And sometimes it has been very hard when a pastor has come in after another pastor and maybe they, things, fresh things have come up and they've wanted to uh, make a decision on it, on the facts before them, but someone says, but no, 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 so-and-so said 40 years ago that this should happen and this should be done and set in stone and it, it, it can't be changed. Whereas if that person was still alive, they might have made a very, very different uh, decision on actually what was, was happening. But this was all stopped here with the children of Israel. And when later on they had all the trials and the burdens and their sorrows, all the time they had this that Joseph had said, they would be brought out and his coffin still there. And uh, when Moses came as well and still it looked like they weren't going to be let go with nine signs and wonders, still this was before them 
of a token that they would be let out. The promise was with Abraham, Isaac, and, and with Jacob. And you see the Lord's wonderful ordering in this way, appointing of it to make it easier when the time came and more clear for the children of Israel to, to move again. It's very easy to think that, well, one move is a move forever. And certainly where we have been given very, very clear direction, then we would want as clear a direction to move or change from that. But uh, it may come in a different way. But here it had been anticipated by the Lord. The promise was bound up with it. And yet who would have thought that the means and the way that they should be brought into Egypt was through Joseph's brothers dealing so cruelly, so hardly with him, so unbelieving, and brought in a way that Jacob, he didn't know what was going on, he didn't know his son was still alive, and right to the end he was saying, all these things are against me. And yet all the time, God meant it unto good. How often this is repeated in the lives of the people of God. All these things are against me. Things don't appear right. Things seem to contrary and opposite. And yet this word, but, but God meant it unto good. And we say right at the start, we should never ever use the fact that God will turn evil into good as an excuse to do evil. If you were to ask Jacob, Jacob, did the ends justify the means of deceiving your father? He would say, no, God would have brought the promise that the promise was that the younger or elders shall serve the younger who had brought that about without me deceiving. And he would say, you look, Laban, change my wages, deceive me ten times. And now my own sons deceive me in what happened to Jacob. And his advice would be, the way of transgressors is hard. It wouldn't be uh, the message of any that have walked in a path of sin or of evil and the Lord has brought good from it to ever encourage in that way because there is a bitter cup in it and there are those things that like David, the sword not departing from his house and yet David forgiven and pardoned. The sins of the people of God are are those things that, like here, 17 years after they'd first been pardoned and forgiven, they rise up again. Sometimes it can really trouble us in that. Have we really been forgiven when past offences still pain our eyes? When we still come in with Psalm 25, remember not the sins of my youth. And yet we think of Joseph's brothers here and what an encouragement it's good for us to 
Seek for the Lord those fresh tokens of pardon and forgiveness, but to know that our heavenly Joseph is the same. What he has said once, it still applies. And the pardon once received, he will never go back on that. Even though Jonah wanted the Lord to go back on the repentance he gave to the Ninevites, the Lord would not do it. Even though Jonah had been the means of bringing that blessing to them, God meant it unto good. Well, I want to look then this evening. Firstly, God meant it for good and thinking of the crucifixion of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And then secondly, God meant it for good in the lives of some of those in Scripture. I want to look at several characters and the things that happened in their lives and how the Lord made it work for good. And then thirdly, how we can be encouraged to be strengthened knowing this, that God makes evil to work for good. God meant it unto good. We want it to apply to, to our lives and to what we are passing through. But firstly, the crucifixion. The brothers here were pained when they realised what they'd done. And Joseph, when he was dealing hardly with them, was dealing with the end in view, that they had their sins brought to remembrance. He could hear what they were saying, how that they remembered his cries, his entreaties to them, and yet they would not hear. And we think of how it was with the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to the Jews, when he said before them that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, and they had taken and by wicked hands crucified had couch of God, they were pricked in their heart. Often count and think, really, it, it, they really must have felt to 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 realise, you know, if we were to put ourselves in their position, and then suddenly realise that the person that we had crucified, put to death and charged as an imposter was not just not what he, not that imposter, but he was actually the eternal son of God. It, it, it could not have any, a, a greater thing. You imagine if we, we found out that the person that we had slain was actually a relative of ours, or, or someone that was, very precious to us and we didn't recognise and didn't know them and we'd done all these things to them. But those Jews, it was fresh at hand. They, they would have had that very vivid in their minds. And yet in the midst of that, as they cry out, what shall we do? Then they are directed to Repentance, they're directed to believe, they're re directed to 
be baptized. Those that gladly received the word were baptized. No doubt some of them remembered the Lord from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have this as a type here in our text. And no doubt there are those that crucified our Lord when they remembered this account were greatly encouraged and helped by a path that the people of God were to walk in many, many years later. And Joseph is a wonderful type of Christ. We said as the reason given by Joseph was that God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Well, in this literal case, it has saved them alive from famine. But we think of the word work of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I am come that they might have life. Ye must be born again. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them from out of mine hand. The Lord's coming is to give life, eternal life, to the people of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, not by the bread that they lacked in the days of Joseph, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And it is not Joseph, but the heavenly Joseph that gives that heavenly manna. The Lord said, Moses gave you not that manna from heaven. My Father giveth you the true manna from heaven. Except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is set forth to save sinners. Him writer says, sinners can say, and none but they, how precious is the Saviour. Our Lord, in one of the parables, or, or one of the illustrations that he used, was when uh, Mary Magdalene was washing the, his feet, when it was an offence to Simon, and does the Lord not know what this woman is that is washing his feet? And he then spake of if one owed but a small amount and one owed a great amount, and they were both forgiven and pardoned what they'd owed, which one would love the most? And he supposed the one that owed the most. And so you can see here, Joseph's brethren, those that were guilty in this way, it meant more to them. They needed it more than ever that forgiveness from Joseph. And the more we know and feel our sinnership, the more that we'll value the forgiveness and pardon in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the Pharisees, the publican, that is sent away from the throne of grace where he's been pleading mercy, justified. And so God meant it for good. So many 
difficult things that may be asked in Scripture can be solved by looking right at Calvary. Many so-called contradictions, difficult things, things where the world would say is unjust or not right, can be solved when you look at Calvary and we see our Lord suffering the just for the unjust. His own crucifying him, killing him, maligning him, and yet the Lord having mercy upon them, pardoning, forgiving them. God meant it unto good. And right through the pages of sacred scripture is recorded God's intention that this should come to pass before knowledge of God, delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This with Joseph was the same. Appointed in eternity, brought to pass in time, and even evil works and evil men cannot frustrate and cannot turn about the purposes of God. In fact, God uses them and uses them for good. Now I want to look at some cases in the Word, just four cases. Firstly, the case of Job. Job feared God, he shewed evil, hated evil, and man of prayer. But Satan thought, and Satan had good foundation to think, that Job only served God because God had put a hedge about him and had blessed him in all that he had. Doth Job serve God for naught? And many Many today, many right through history, fair-weather Christians have served the Lord while he's given them health and strength and wealth, but when things have gone wrong, then they have said, well, this, if this is this God, look at all what I've done. I've given my time, I've given my money to the church, and, and all of these, this is what I've reaped, all of these troubles and all of these sorrows, and they'll be offended, and Satan knew that. And he thought that was the case with Job. And so God gave him permission to bring one trial after another, one sorrow after another, coming right then down to his health and strength. And then added to it a further trial where his own friends that had first come to mourn with him and to comfort him, then because the trial went on and on, they supposed that there was some reason in Job why, and therefore they brought many things before him to convince him that he was wrong and that he had sinned and there were things that he needed to put right. Well, God brought out good out of Job's trial. The end of Job was better than the beginning. His friends had to come with sacrifices. Job had to pray for them and has made atonement for their sin. But throughout it all, there was many things that Job went through which showed 
the sin of his heart, the unrighteousness there, the charges that he had of God. And as that trial was deepened and deepened, then the Lord had much teaching in it for dear Job. But one thing that was clearly proved, Satan was a liar. God had given Job grace. He didn't just serve God for the things that he'd given him. He served God in trials. And his greatest trial was when the Lord hid his face from him. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even unto his scene. believe that is one of the greatest trials, a trials a child of God can have. If in the midst of all the other outward trials, they haven't got access in prayer, or they're left carnal, dead, the Lord far off, and they don't feel the Lord nigh at hand, and they desire to find him, their refuge, their hiding place, they find not. And Job went through those things. James, in his epistle, he says, Ye have heard of the patience or endurance of Job and the end of the Lord. Great encouragement James uses it for the tried and tempted, afflicted child of God passing through tribulation to persevere, to endure it, to go on day by day, really trusting in this God that means it for good. What a beautiful word goes together with this in Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. But then we have the case with the children of Israel as they were going to the promised land and the Moabites came against them, Balak, he hired Balaam to come and to curse the children of Israel. But we read that God would not hearken unto him, but rather turned the curse into a blessing. And really it was a, a triune blessing. Three different places Balaam was brought, seven altars at each place, an offering in the sight of all Israel, and each time, instead of a curse, was a blessing. And the people that were being blessed, they were people that had murmured and complained, rebelled and tried the Lord through the wilderness journey. They weren't a perfect people, they weren't a good people, but they were the people the Lord had chosen, and the people that God had said are blessed, and they shall be blessed, and... Balaam was forbidden to curse them. And again, that is a real encouragement to us. If we're the people of God, if the Lord has blessed us, if we've tasted that he is gracious, that he has blessed us, especially with faith in his beloved Son, and blessed us with light of life, then no curse, no man, no devil can come and prevail against us. The Lord was so emphatic with his ancient people that they were blessed and he wouldn't change that. And yet it resulted actually in blessing. 
But God meant it for good. Yes, when Balak says to Balaam, come, God meant it for good. One thing that was solemn in that account, it was said that the Moabite then should not come into the congregation of the Lord, no, not even to the tenth generation. And yet the third one I bring before you is that of Elimelech and Naomi. They went in a time of famine, similar, you might say, to the situation here in Genesis, from Bethlehem to Moab, to those people that did not receive the children of Israel. They were under that curse. And then while in that country, Elimelech died. The two sons, they take them wives, Ruth and Orpah, the Moabites, and then they die. And Naomi is left a widow and her two daughters-in-law. But through that, Ruth is brought to Bethlehem. It would appear that the curse on the men, but not on the women, that Ruth was brought as a bride and became a bride, really a a type of the Gentiles being called and joined to Boaz and in the line to Christ, in the line to David. Naomi, she testifies, the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me in again empty. It was a hard, it was a trying path, but it ended up with some sweetness and a blessing in Ruth that was made such a blessing to her and could so see the Lord's hand. And it became gradual through the way. And may we be helped to notice this. If we picture ourselves in Naomi's position, in her bereavement and sorrow and trial, and then think of these things that start to I can not say lighten it, but they're tokens for good. We find Ruth's love to her. It's contrasted, yes, Orpah did have a love, but she claved to her own gods. He was a double love, a daughter-in-law that loved her and was precious to her and claved to her. And then when they came into Bethlehem, then we find that Ruth is desirous to go and glean. And when she comes back home, Naomi looks at what she's gleaned. And she said, Blessed is he who hath taken knowledge of thee. She knew that Ruth had gleaned more than what was usual. Probably Ruth didn't even know, wouldn't realise that. But Naomi did. She'd had handfuls of purpose given her. And she asked then, Whose field? And she's told it was the field of Boaz. Blessed be God, the man is a near kinsman. She's able to point again to another providential ordering of where Ruth had gone, unknown to Ruth. And gone in the right way. You think of the wonder of Abraham's servant. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You think of Jacob going to Laban and 
coming right to where the family was. The Lord is the orderer of his people. But we have these intimations before ever that Ruth was joined to Boaz. You could see the Lord's favours in this little point, in that little point, in that little point. Have you got those things? Tokens for good, you might say. One on its own, not a great thing. But when you start adding them up together and start noticing them together, then it comes to light with David after David took the kingdom or began to take the kingdom from Saul. He said he perceived that God had established him to be king over Israel. He could see the things that God was doing, turning men's hearts and giving him favour. And he saw in it, past man, he could see this was God's favour and God's doing. He that will observe providence will not lack a providence to observe. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Then we have a case of David as king over Israel and nearing the end of his life, a couple of years before he died. And God had said that he should not build the temple, but his son Solomon should do so. And he was preparing with all his might for this temple. But as yet, it was not known where it would be built. And then we read two accounts. One is in Samuel, the other is in Chronicles. And in one we read that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. In the other account we read that Israel had sinned and God moved David to number Israel. Who was it? God or Satan? We think back to Job. Could Satan do anything at all to Job without the Lord's permission? No. He needed the Lord's permission. Satan no doubt thought that he was doing great damage to David and at the end of his life. But the Lord overruled it for good. And it was actually a chastening for the people of God. They had sinned and the Lord was going to use it to chasten and correct them. But when David had numbered Israel and no doubt not taken the shekels according to the sanctuary that was to be done in numbering a people, of course it wasn't in the time of war either, David acknowledges, he says, I have sinned. He knew that he had done wrong. There's pride at the root of it. And even Joab, not one of the Lord's people himself, tried to turn David from it, but he wouldn't. But God turned that about for good, given the three choices of what God should do to him. He chose the hand of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, three days destroying in the coast of Israel. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. Why? Because he is gracious, long-suffering, of tender mercies. Let me not fall into the hand of man. David knew his God. Well, many, 75,000 died in Israel. 
for the plague was stayed on Mount Moriah. And there David offered a sacrifice and the Lord lit it from heaven. And we read then that when David saw that the Lord had answered him there in the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite, that then he said, this is the house of God. This is the place, in effect, that the temple should be built in. And really as the temple uh, set forth our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the way that it was found out where it should be was in the staying of the plague and of the sacrifice offered and kindled from heaven. So in each of these cases we see that which begun in a way that you think, how can ever any good come here? How can it work for good? And yet we read in our text, but God meant it unto good, and it did work for good. And we are reminded in the case of Jacob especially, he doesn't always tell his people what he is doing. I've often thought with Jacob, why couldn't? The Lord had let him know that Jacob was still alive. But he probably would have undone everything. He would have put his hand to it. He would have tried to interfere in some way. The Lord knows how to wait until it is right time to unfold to us and to make known what his purposes are. We are to walk by faith and that which is revealed to us, we are to walk in and we're to walk in a way that the Lord has given us light according to the word, not doing contrary to the word of God, not doing that which is forcing providence and doing that which the Lord has inclined our hearts to do that is in accordance with his word. And we know then that those things will work for good. So how... How can we then be encouraged if we think of this account for our own path, not sinning that grace might abound, but thinking of our sins, thinking of those things that have happened maybe years ago that still pain our hearts. Are they not things that the Lord has brought good from it? And even the remembrance of it to humble us. The Apostle Paul, he says that he was not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because of some failings in his ministry? Something nigh at hand? No. Going right back before his conversion. Because I persecuted the house of God. And that was a means of humbling him. And so the Lord uses these things, even when past offences pain our eyes. We think of our mistakes, those things that we do and we do wrong. Perhaps when we haven't asked counsel at the Lord, like the children of Israel when the Gibeonites deceived them, and then the Gibeonites ended up hewers of wood and drawers of water to the congregation all their days. The Lord honoured that which the Israelites promised them. Those things 
are used by the Lord. Our mistakes, not God's mistakes, those things that the Lord will overrule for good. But what about what others have done? Here is Joseph. This is what his brothers had done to him. We those that have done things to us, that what they have done has affected our lives, that has been a cause of tribulation and trouble and distress to us. Have we ever transferred what we have passed through to what Joseph passed through? And to see the Lord's overruling hand in it. But God meant it unto good. You say, I can't see the good. Maybe we haven't looked for it. Or maybe we have seen it, but not accepted that that is the good. That the Lord had appointed and had ordained. And he couldn't have and wouldn't have done it any other way than the way that he has. But what about those adverse providences, those things that we do not understand? The Lord says, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Sometimes we feel to be perhaps carried along on the conveyor belt of life and, uh, and you think, well, there's nothing I can do, I can't change these things at all. God can change them. But sometimes he won't because God means it for good. There is a purpose, there is an appointing in it. And it's good for us to think of this, to actually think why is it perhaps we've put up petition after petition over a certain matter, we laid it before the Lord and before the Lord you think the Lord is not hearkening. But the Lord is working his purposes and is doing what he wills. And he's not like Jacob, all these things are against me. But we cannot see it. And this is where the word is given for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It is in what we see God has caused others to pass through and how that he's worked in that way that is to be our rest and our strength. Do we think perhaps the Lord has laid all this in Scripture with Joseph, with his crucifixion, with Job, with the children of Israel, but he never works that way again and he won't in the church of God. Yes, he will. They will be the same. But the Lord is the same and those things are written for our comfort. It is our blessing when we're able to see these things and to hold on to a word like this but God meant it unto good and we're holding this and looking upon it and in all our prayers we are pleading not ourselves but God and his character and his purposes and what the Lord will do the church of God often needs assurance doesn't it the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Joseph's brothers thought he had thoughts of evil towards them and the church often can feel the same. 
the Lord says of them when Zion says that the Lord's forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are ever before me. The many fear not to the word of God, like Joseph with his brothers here. Fear not, for am I in the place of God. We need those fear nots, but we are given the word of God too. May it be this evening is a help to some here, help to us, that those things that we pass through, that there come the time we're able to see, instead of God meant it unto good, to see that God has made it work for good. And we can actually see the good. Remember, in this account, Joseph is able to clearly tell his brothers in what way it worked for good. You say, but they had 17 years to consider that. But had they just overlooked it and passed over that? Maybe it's something we have overlooked and passed over and haven't seen as well where things have worked for good. But God meant it unto good. And the evil, the good, our good unblessed is ill. Our ill, uh, our, our, uh, the, the word, uh, it slips my mind, but there's a beautiful verse concerning the good that the Lord uh, doesn't bless and the ill that the Lord does bless. And all is right that seems most wrong if it be his sweet will. And may the Lord bless this word and it be for our not just temporal good, but our eternal good, for the good of our souls, for that which is to our eternal safety in heaven above, and for our souls' good here below. Amen.